This sermon was recorded live as part of online worship for the Arden Marches Group of Churches in Warwickshire, England, on the 8th of November 2020, Remembrance Sunday. The passage for the sermon was Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Uh, remembrance. Uh, how do you feel about remembrance? I'm just aware there are a whole lot of different approaches and thoughts about it. My own feelings have been through a whole spectrum uh, over time. I, uh, as a child, attended church with my uh, cub and scout group, all wearing my uniform, feeling immensely proud, carrying a flag. At other times, I've perhaps felt much more cautious, even experiencing kind of revulsion at the level of nationalism and jingoism that can be unleashed, that can come about through remembrance. And of course, lots in between. I sympathise with those who would call themselves pacifists, but I'm also deeply humbled by the sacrifice of all those who gave their lives. As Jesus said, uh, no one can love anyone better than to lay down their own life. And this week I observed members of the Studley community reading out the names of those from this place who fell in the wars. Uh, you'll hear their names being read later on as part of our act of remembrance. Every name is a tragedy, but I confess when it came to a particular list of names, the Danks family, five of them in rapid succession, you'll hear those names. I really nearly lost it at that point. Five members of one family. But the more I've thought about it, the more I am convinced that remembrance is central to who we are as God's people. So that brings us on to today's set reading. Where are the passages I hear you wonder about war and about peace? What has a wedding got to do with remembrance? Well, a little bit of background to our reading. It begins with the words, at that time. Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man. The end times when Christ returns. It's set in the context of chapter 24, which is looking at the signs of the end of the age. And it comes just before the parable of the wicked tenants and then the one of the sheep and the goats. So it's not a parable, but a statement about the sheep and the goats. It's important to remember where it sits, looking at end times and about salvation and those who are in and not. If the wedding tradition seems a little bit strange to us, then we need to understand something of the context. Uh, celebrations were often held late at night because the heat of the day just meant it was too hot to have a great party. The parties themselves could go on for quite a long time. They might span several days. The timings were not as specific as they perhaps are now or in our context here uh, in this country. Uh, there are lots of places in the world where weddings have a very kind of uh, open-ended beginning and end. And it seems as though it was the bridegroom who could be unpredictably late, whereas that's the prerogative of the bride in our culture, it seems. The bridegroom would travel through the village or the town to the home of the bride, where the bride and the bridesmaids were, and would then put the bride on a donkey and would walk the streets up and down through the village or the town, uh, backwards and forwards, to cover as many streets as they could, so that everyone could see the couple on the way to their nuptials. 
it could take a long time, hence needing a lot of oil for the lamps. And let's just also think that the word for lamps in this passage is not kind of a small oil lamp, but actually huge flaming torches, the kind with rags on the end of a bundle of tightly tied sticks that you have to keep dipping in oil. Because they're there not just to see the way, but also to light up the bride and groom so that all could see them. Now this story on one level is absolutely about being ready for Christ's return. There will be those who are in and those who are out. We often skate over these things that Jesus says about those who are in and those who are out. We remember that the kingdom is free for all, but the kingdom is not a free for all. This is about salvation and end times, whether the end of the world, the end of our human lives. And the parable also gives us a helpful perspective. It's what keeps our eyes on what's important, on the sharp end of things. But the parable is also about the here and now, about the waiting time. The kingdom, Jesus says, is at hand. We're to pray daily for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. The bridesmaids who are foolish get shut out in the end, but actually it's what happens much earlier in the day that's the problem. It's their lack of preparedness, their foolishness. And why do we remember? And what has this got to do with this passage? I'd say it's got a lot to do with this passage. We remember specific people who were dear to families and communities, although as time passes and the generations uh, that once took part in these wars uh, have disappeared, it is more than just that. But we gather to remember to honour those who gave their lives. We gather to stand in solidarity with those who are still in our military, who see the horrors of war. And as Christians, we also remember because it's an important part of the life of faith. The imperative, the instruction to remember actually occurs almost as many times in the Bible as the one to believe. Remembrance is about holding tight to the hard-won wisdom of the past so that we can honour that past with a better future. Remembrance is about holding on holding tight to the hard-won wisdom of the past, that we can honour that past with a better future. It's not about being stuck in the past. It's about keeping our experiences, both personal and shared, alive. It's about being alert and prepared, alert to present and future dangers, alert to the potential for conflict, alert to the sins that cause and contribute to conflict, alert to how the little stuff becomes the big stuff. In broad daylight, right up until the point where everybody fell asleep, it clearly didn't seem a priority to some of these bridesmaids to have plenty of oil. But Jesus doesn't call these bridesmaids inexperienced or naive. In his story, he makes it clear they were foolish. They're fools because they should have known better. A fool is someone who op acts opposite to uh, the obvious wisdom. You know, this was how the weddings of that time worked. They would have seen it happen many times before. They should have remembered that the parties often start late at night and they had a long way to go, that they would need to be prepared. 
Remembrance prevents us from being fools who are both excluded from the kingdom and fools who don't contribute to the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What are the lessons of remembrance? Taking just one of the conflicts that we think about on Remembrance Sunday and on Armistice Day, fascism did not appear overnight. How it grew was complex and beyond the scope of what we can talk about now. But most of Europe was fast asleep as it happened and did not see the signs until it was too late. By the time things like Hitler's rallies had made it to the attention of most people, so much had already happened and the course was already set. People you see in the 1930s were preoccupied with economic ruin and the rebuilding of life after the first war. And they went, when they woke up to the threat, they hadn't done the preparations that had been necessary. And if we don't think those lessons of the Second World War are relevant, let's just reflect for a moment that for the next decade, we will be preoccupied with the economic and social damage caused by coronavirus. And our attention will be massively taken up by that. What will creep up on us in that space? So as we remember, we're called to be prepared, to be alert. This passage is part of Jesus's teaching on how to read the signs of the times, the ones to come and the current times. Earlier in Matthew, he criticises those who know how to read the, the signs of the sky and know what the weather will be doing, but can't see the movement of the kingdom. We're called to be discerning, to know which way the spirit is blowing. Everyone can recognise that there are some dire signs in our world at the moment. We know things aren't right when a supposedly civilised and democratic nation can elect a president who's been proven to lie to his people between 20 and 50 times a day and then nearly half the population four years later say they're okay with that. There's something not right when children go hungry in one of the richest nations of the world during school holidays. There's something very wrong when we have deeply ingrained racial prejudice still wreaking havoc. There's something wrong when panic buying fever grips a people who by and large have everything that they want. There's something wrong with the state of our environment. But none of these things just happened. And while it would be convenient to blame Trump, the Republicans, our conservative government, uh, the media, oil companies, actually that's not the whole truth. And this isn't a party political statement. It's much more complicated and much more subtle than that. Society and culture have allowed and even amplified these problems and many others. They start with tiny micro acts of selfishness and pride and greed and self-defense. It's why the words of the litany that we read earlier are so important, they're so relevant to every one of us. And what we've seen this year just exploding around the world and in our own country has been a long time in the making. So we need to be sensitive to the little signs that things are wrong. As a driver, you learn to anticipate the road. You don't wait till somebody nearly crashes into you to take avoiding action. All the time you're scanning what's going on and taking the appropriate moves, sometimes not even aware that you're doing it. In medicine, some of the fastest growing areas of success at the moment are those where people are picking up tiny, tiny indications of what is wrong. This week, there was news about computers that can predict uh, and therefore provide uh, or help towards provision of care for people with dementia. 
really early on by spotting the tiny little, almost unnoticeable signs of the changes in their speech. We need to be sensitive to these little signs that things are not right, but also sensitive to the things that are right. The world has become so polarised on every single issue that there's no room for nuance and recognising the good or the right intentions that are often behind so many things. The little sparks that need to be fanned into flame. What are the little things that we're colluding with culture over? The little things that can become the big things. It can be quite hard to know this. After all, we're so deeply steeped in our culture and in our times that sometimes we just can't see. Our culture shouts at us really loudly all the time. And by contrast, we spend so very little time listening to the whisper of God. Our ears and eyes aren't tuned in properly. I sometimes wonder if our Western society is like those bridesmaids with the torches, the foolish ones. They have the tools, but not the fuel. In a post-Christian world, we have the tools. We have healthcare, social security, education, democracy, rule of law, science, a moral framework, nearly all of which has come about as a result of the rise of Christianity and a desire through the generations to see the coming of the kingdom. They allow us to identify all that is now wrong. And boy, do we know everything is wrong and do we criticise it. But we don't have the fuel. We're dispensed with God. We're groping in the dark. We are called to be the wise bridesmaids, filled up with the Holy Spirit. See, oil throughout the Bible is used as a metaphor for anointing. It isn't just for heating and cooking and lighting. It's a metaphor for anointing. And it was used for anointing. It's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Those in this parable, therefore, were those who carried the oil. They were investing, they had been investing, in allowing God's Spirit to indwell them. So they could shine a light into the dark corners of the rough road and light up the bridegroom and the bride. Though, interestingly, the bride isn't mentioned in this passage. But we can think Christ and the church being lit up as Christians, we are called to remember and to be much more sensitive to what is going on in the world, what is really going on under the surface. But we're called to do it not in the reactionary way of the world. So how do we remember as Christians in a Christian way? Just three ideas. We have hope. We have the hope of Christ's return we have the hope of the invitation to the kingdom, which is free to us to accept. We have a hope that allows us to be a non-anxious presence in tough times. And boy, does the world need that right now. Secondly, we are called to sacrifice. And as we think today about uh, the sacrifice of those who gave their lives, we are called to sacrifice. Sometimes we will have to do and say things into our culture which are not at all popular, and that will cost us. But thirdly, we are to be filled with spirit. It's not enough just to have the tools. Even the church, even the Bible, in some ways are just tools. We need to be filled with the spirit. So as we observe the two minute silence in a while, let's do it watchfully. Let's pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we can be hopeful 
and prepared and ready for action Christians. Therefore, Jesus said, keep watch, because you do not know the day nor the hour. Amen.